Good evening, everybody. Welcome. I'm Eugene Cash. Uh, I'm one of the teachers here at Spirit Rock. I'm also the teacher at San Francisco Insight and quite happy to, we're getting some reverberation, a little, um, quite happy to be here tonight with um, Sister Abigail. Sister Abby is mostly how I know her. Um, Abigail Nileko from South Africa. And um, also we have a good friend, Andrew Harvey, who's here, and the two of them and three of us will be talking and uh, also talking with you. Um, I'll give a, I'll just say a few things about Sister Abby. I know Sister Abby, having met her in South Africa, and then also hosted her in uh, San Francisco uh, when she came to um, uh, receive an award from the Dalai Lama, from His Holiness the Dalai Lama. She received the um, Unsung Hero of Compassion Award, and I believe that was 2009. Yes. Yeah. And... Um, <coughs> And it was quite an adventure, um, which I'll ask you to speak about a little later, because it's great to hear Abby's story and who she is and what's happened for her, including meeting the Dalai Lama and coming to America. And, and um, But in South Africa, she's been quite a, uh, a blessing for her community in KwaZulu-Natal, and um, part of her um, good fortune is coming from not wealthy means, but, you know, from a rural family in a part of South Africa that is not Johannesburg or Cape Town. It's, in my language, it's out in the sticks a little bit, right? And... um, And she, um, a lot happened for her, partly because of her vision, in my understanding, of, of wanting to um, be educated and do work that mattered to her about things that she cared about. And so she worked with the limitations that come sometimes with any culture, but in her culture at the time, about women being educated and things like that. And she got an education, became a nurse. And, um, and then uh, in the AIDS epidemic, she um, came forward to care for children who'd lost their parents um, uh, because of AIDS. And she started to open up orphanage and care for children and then adopt children herself. And she had an impact on many, many people, many people. And, um, and still to this day has, runs a, an orphanage, right? And which, whose name, let's see if I can get the name before you correct me. Well, I don't have the name right here, so. Wait, it's here somewhere. Oh, there it is. Thank you. <laughs> Kalungila. Yes, Kalungila. Kalungila. Good. I'm, you know, I'm trying to speak. Uh, Kalungila uh, Care Center in Underberg, and I've been to Underberg, um, which has been um, supported by people around the world. 
and it's a beautiful part of the potential for us as human beings to care for one another. And not just it's not just beautiful, it's needed. Mm-hmm. We need each other. And that's a beautiful part of being a human being that's pointed at in the Dharma and the Buddhist teaching as well in other teachings of, of really all traditions. And so um, also here tonight is Andrew Harvey who also met Sister Abby in South Africa and um, has been part of supporting her and her work uh, both in South Africa and in the republication of this book that was written called Empty Hands. And um, his, his group, um, which is the Institute of Sacred Activism, has been supporting her work and also working with North Atlantic publishers um, to publish um, the works of sacred activists. And so we're here to be with Abby and to learn from Abby and to have some fun with Abby. (laughs) (laughs) That won't be difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Really, that won't be difficult, it's true. So here's here's what we'll do now. if you would like to say something now, that would be fine. And then we'll have a short meditation, and then we'll have a more interactive evening. So I just want to say hi, ladies and and also the message from my children at home. They said, please hug everybody in U.S. because we always hear uh, praying for them. I always do uh, do this prayer from the Anglican Church: God bless America, God her children. Give a peace. Oh. And um, they know that I do that as the lay minister. So they said, please hug them all and bring the hugs. So already I'm hugging you, and then I'll be taking the hugs. When we arrive at home, because there are only 20, they'll have to divide the hugs. Uh. <laughs> okay, so let's sit for a few minutes. And whatever your form, whether you're sitting on a cushion or a chair or a bench, um, it's really helpful to sit upright. And often that means being on your sits bones. And so on a cushion, people tend to sit on the front third of the cushion so that the the sitting posture allows us to be very upright in the spine, in the back, without being stiff at all. And if you're you're sitting in a chair, you can experiment. Some people like to sit on the front of the chair, on the front third of the chair, and that helps them sit very upright. Some people scoot their rear end into the chair, but they don't lean back. They, they get their rear end to support them more than their back against the chair. And please play with it and see what works for you. And I'll give a very simple instruction tonight, which is just be aware of whatever's here.
And by that I mean not so much the content of what's here, but the phenomenology of what's here, the basic human experience of what's here. That you'll have a you have a body here and there'll be body sensations. You might notice being warm or cool or the body might be comfortable or uncomfortable. Or you might notice that the heart is breathing, is beating, or that your torso moves while you're breathing. Or you might be aware that there's some feelings here. Maybe you've come in and you're in a really good mood. You're happy or joyous or delighted. Or maybe you're not in such a good mood. Maybe you're sad or irritated or angry or or anxious or fearful. And you don't have to change anything. You can simply just be aware of it rather than being identified with it. And of course you might be aware of thoughts and comments about what's happening or what I'm saying or what you're feeling or some memory of something that happened an hour ago or 25 years ago or or some plan for what's going to happen tonight. And you don't have to change anything. You can simply be aware of the thinking, planning, memory process, the cognitive process that happens quite naturally for human beings without being identified with it. Meaning you can begin to rest or relax with the spaciousness of awareness that's here effortlessly. And so being aware of whatever you're aware of, the particulars of sensation or thought or feeling or sounds or smells or tastes or touch. And being aware of any reaction or response you have to anything without having to change or fix anything. Simply being aware of the human experience that's sitting in your seat. Moment by moment by moment. Just now. Here.
So we might have some questions for you tonight, Abby, but I'm wondering, how would you like to start? Um, <clears throat> I think it would be better if I just hint. Make sure, yeah, okay. I think it would be better if I hint on my life, because... Uh, uh, it helped me a lot to have the uh, people around me with a spirit of Ubuntu. I was born in 1934, and my mother died in 1938 when I was four years, and uh, I was stuck because my siblings, the older sisters, decided to leave home, and uh, because of the poverty and uh, going to stay with my paternal aunts and maternal aunts. And I was stuck to stay with my father, who was the medical reject from the mines. He had pneumoconiosis, which is almost like asthma. And uh, he used to smoke like a chimney and and drank like a fish. And um, he also abused the green stuff, marijuana, but in a, a way that uh, is almost more traditionally, because a, a person that is still young, um, a man that is still raising up a family is not allowed to smoke marijuana in the olden days. They used not to be allowed to smoke marijuana. They, they, can, they could be easily charged for smoking marijuana when you've got small children. Um, so, who, who would charge? Would that be in the community, or would that be from the legal community? It would, it will be a, a traditional leader who's the ngosi or uh-huh. or chief of the area. Great, thank you. Yeah, and um, so I was a head girl from the age of, age of of six, looking after the calves. I ended up looking after the cattle. And uh, the rule was girls are not supposed to be educated. When I was nine years old, I confronted confronted my father. I said, Dad, uh, why don't you want the you people don't want the girls to be educated? And he said to me, because if they get educated, they will easily go down to Durban, which is a harbor, and sell their bodies there. Uh, then I said, who told you? I said, don't ask me, don't question me. Whatever I tell you, have wise, wise, wise. That's it. You're not going to school. So I looked at this and I said, Mm-mm. I'm going to try and get education. The reason why I wanted to be educated, I had it seeing young girls, 18 years old, 20, having boyfriends who are working in the mines in Joburg, getting the letters and taking those letters because they're not educated, taking it to the, to the neighbor who will read for them, either a man of that house, and they used to read the letter and start giggling while you're waiting uneducated. See, the person that is going to read the letter will know everything that is in the letter and start laughing if there's any joke in there and say, listen, then start reading them. The, the letter. Then I said, no, that's not going to happen to me. And then also I wanted to be able to memorize the verses at the Sunday school because the other girls were just, and boys, 
were just reading those who were allowed at their home to be educated. They used to just read and memorize it. So I had a problem in remembering um, the some of us. I used my hands, and uh, that didn't work well. So at the age of 14, I went straight to my father, knelt in front of him. I said, Dad, the schools are opening tomorrow, and I'm going to school tomorrow. Mind you, I was wearing a traditional dress, which is a beadwork in front and just a piece of cloth at the back. Boobs out, not covered, and that was tradition. And um, my dad said, but I told you several times, you want me to repeat myself like a drunk person, and he used to drink anyway. I knew he used to go over one thing over and over and over again. Um, so I said, no, I'm going to school tomorrow. So I went to school. The first thing, the principal said, no ways that we can keep a traditional woman in school because our school are Christian schools. You have to go and find yourself a dress. So I went to the mission where I attended Sunday school. I asked for a dress, and uh, she gave me a dress, light blue, beautiful with smoke, and it had big uh, belts. I used to tie them as a bow at the back. But being 14 in grade one with six-year-olds and five-year-olds, um, I was very careful that they mustn't touch me. When we were playing outside, they used to play and then I'll stand up because I didn't want to wash it every day because it's going to get old. And it's the only dress <coughs> that I have. So immediately when I arrived at home, I'll take it off back to my traditional attire and hang it uh, on a string and then go and collect the cattle from the boys. So my job was to um, look after all the heads of the cattle in our tribal ward because the, the boys were going to look, those were head boys. They had to look after my cattle from Monday to Friday. Then on Sunday, sneak into church, come back and head the cattle. So at the age of 29, I obtained um, grade 10, which is the junior certificate during our time. And uh, I applied in nursing because I had said on the first day when I was at school, the lady teacher said, what do you want to be when you finish school? Asking one by one. When she came to me, I said, I want to be a nurse. My uh, philosophy was that uh, if I become a nurse, I'll be able to look after my father better than, than the time that I used to look after him. And um, the teacher killed herself. She laughed and got a piece of paper and said, take this to the classroom. Dad, just give it to the teacher. I ran, and the teacher laughed and said, Girls, you are in grade uh, standard six now. Uh, you'll be going to the secondary school next year. What do you want to be when you finish school? And I said, Say, we, we, we don't know yet. And he said, How old are you? I said, 14. Grade? I said, Grade one. I started yesterday. And said, um, What do you want to be when you finish? I said, I want to be a nurse. Hey, the whole class laughed. I said, take this piece of paper, go to this. So I went all around the school. Uh, but that didn't make me to say, I'm not going to get this. I said, there must be kidding. 
I'm going to be a nurse. <laughs> Dark or blue, I'll be a nurse. No matter how old I'll be. So at the age of 29, I completed grade, uh, grade 10. I applied in nursing. I got the um, was a, a call to Edendale. I trained. I did midwifery, general in midwifery. When I completed, I was 35. On the final ball, nurse's final ball, I had to find a partner, a dance partner. So I found my dance partner. He was a very good young boy. We used to dance like anything, and we drilled me how to dance when, you know, when the music is on. And um, after that, uh, he came to me. He said, Sissy, I would like to see you. I said, about what? (laughs) That's where the nurses found their partners. I said, no, I love you. I said, you know, when I come near you, you still smell of your mom's breast milk. <laughs> Get off. <laughs> I must be kidding. Get off. Anyway, the two people, this eight, well, he was 18, I was 85. I was ex- exactly the age of him, his mother. And uh, I met him years after that. I found him with a collar. He was a, a high priest at the Methodist Church. He was working with his wife. He laughed before. I said, Spewer, you can't do that to me. I didn't know that you are a minister now. He said, uh, yes, I am. And his wife said, because I think they must have pointed at me while I was coming. And the wife said, oh, Baba, is it the, the girl that refused to, to be in love with you? He said, yes. And he told me that I smell of my mother's. <laughs> and they laughed and then I said okay where are you now told me I said I'll visit you one day only to find that they were running a, 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 an orphanage at Edendale so I went there and found them there and I said Doris I wouldn't have got married to your husband I don't like chicken murder um, he, he was too young 18 years old um then I uh, did a lot of these uh, diploma courses in nursing, psych, pediatric, mothercraft course, ophthalmic, because I wanted, I had already started when I finished at the age of 35, I had already started to pick up uh, needed children in my area. When it was not had during our time that a single black woman can adopt. Mm-hmm. So I used the traditional uh, authority. They gave me letters to say I've taken this child. I, I, the first one that I took is now 60. Mm-hmm. Um, she can hardly walk, most unfortunately, because she never listened to the mother. I'm very cautious about my diet, and I'm a vegetarian. I'm 82. I don't suffer from arthritis or whatever, and blood pressure. She has got blood pressure. She's a cardiac, she's, uh, she's on, on a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. When I come and help her, she's in Jobe, she cries. I said, Mom, if only, I said, don't talk about it, it's too late now. I'm trying to help you. That's all. Let's not take too late to, to mend. It's just like a spilled milk. And then I got my metric when I was 56. I was just trying to see if my brains are still working. Wait, so wait, I wait, took wait, seven wait. subjects. What's a metric? Metric is a high 
higher education, yeah, okay. a higher education certificate. Great. So the reason why, why I wanted uh, this metric is because I wanted to do community nursing science through university. Don't get it through the hospitals, it's through university. So I only graduated when I was 59. Last year I did uh, elder care at the age of 81 with the girls, and I got 85%. <laughs> and they were worried that, how cool. Are you still going to go and work in the old age home, pick up the old people there, very sick people? I said, no. You know what? I'm doing it for myself. Do you know what? I want to get you when you're doing wrong things to me. I'm 80. I'm I'll, I'll say to you, is that the way elder care taught you to look after the old people? I did the course. That's very wrong. So they, they were laughing. It was just to prove the point that you never, ever get old to be educated. That's, and then I started um, a home uh, when the AIDS hit our area badly. KZN is the worst in, in South Africa with the AIDS pandemic. Mm. So there were a lot, a lot, a lot of child-headed homes and people were abusing them because the government was not able to give them the foster care grant. They had to have an adult to apply for it. So I decided to start in old in a children's home, which I don't say is an orphanage. I say it's a care center because I only release them when they're able to, to look after themselves, being professional, those who can be, and also working. Now uh, I left that one. It has got 12 cottages, 85 children. I restarted the one that I'm going to shrink, shrink it down because I'm old now. I can't jump. I'm still playing soccer anyway with the children. <laughs> but uh, there were times when I sit down and now I'm going to be a sitting referee, uh, bring the whistle and then I whistle. And they say, Gogo, how are you going to say somebody's doing something wrong or a foul? Uh, eh? Don't worry, I see everywhere. You can see I've <laughs> got glasses. So um, the second one is Kulungile, which means all is well. So I've left Clouds of Hope. Why I named it Clouds of Hope is because in the connotation of our culture, if somebody has lost, lost a loved one, you, you say it's under a cloud. So in spite of, of the children being under the cloud, they've been abused, some had such hard times, and they've observed that their parents dying, mm. and they used to phone me in the middle of the night, say, Gogo, my, my mother is not breathing well. Then I would rush and go there just to do the last offices, close the eyes, and we arrange for the hearse to come and pick the body. And then I, afterwards, I had to arrange the funeral because the hospitals were just deciding them oh, to yeah. die at home. Die with whom? With the 13 year old girl or boy? with the other siblings being there. So um, now I'm in Etukulungile. At, at when I left Clouds, I, say, I stayed with 17 orphans in a two-roomed house. And this guy found me there, next to me on my right. And... Uh, he smells uh, like well, breast milk. Yeah, <laughs> breast milk. <laughs> and uh, what really struck me when I... It, saw us staying in a cramped place. I had taken the children to a um, Buddhist hermitage where he 
he was uh, attending the retreat. And I used to take them there so that they can have uh, fresh air, run up the mountain, go and swim. And he heard my story and he said, um, I'm going to find race for you, but uh, I'm coming with you in the village so that we can look for a house. I said, this man doesn't know what he's doing. Does he know how much these houses are? Why does he say he's going to find race? Then we must look for a house. Then when somebody says so much, where are we going to get money? Anyway, I went with him. He was bubbling and said, I'm going back to U.S. and then we'll definitely um, fundraise. So a kind guy came and took uh, a, a clip for my children and interviewed them. And then they started uh, fundraising, which was called Indigo. That's why I'm praying for America and say, God bless America, God her children, guide her leaders, because the house where I am, mm. I had no money. I had taken all the money to start the first orphanage. All my retirement annuity went there. Now with this home, I never paid even a cent. And I'm living in such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful home. But there are times when I challenge God with everything. If anything goes wrong, I don't have problems, by the way. Uh, I've got challenges. If I'm challenged somehow, try to tackle the challenge. If I can't um, uh, solve the problem, I fold my arms and say, God, let me remind you, I never had a child of my own, and I'm not a widow. In your word, you said, you are the father to the orphans. You are a husband to the widow. So I never lost any husband. I'm just chipping in the place of the, of the, of the widows that you have also taken. Took their husband. And took. So this is your problem. <laughs> <laughs> then I relax. <laughs> so there's nothing that is a worry to me, no matter how big it is. I learned to let go. That's why I don't have hypertension. When I first met Sister Abby, it was in South Africa, and I was teaching with Kitisaro and Tanisaro. Many of you may know who they are. They're amazing, very profound Buddhist teachers. And I was handed a book, Empty Hands, and I read it all night, and you deprived me of sleep. Oh, Although no. I smell of my mother's breast milk. <laughs> yeah. Because it was such an overwhelmingly naked and sincere book. And it's a book of a person who has truly all her life wanted to serve and done everything in her power to equip herself to serve deeply. And I said to Kitsara and Tanisara, I have to meet this woman. She is so extraordinary. And then I next day, you came with the children and they sang... And I said, we're going to raise this money. Mm. And we did raise this money. But the much more important than all of that is really my first conversation with you, which has really been one of the conversations mm. I remember most in my life. Mm. I said, how do you stand it? How do you do this work mm. with no money, year in, year out? And she said, well, 
prayer is the answer. And I said, give me an example of how you pray. And she said, okay, she said. One day I sprained my ankle very badly. And we didn't have any money. There was certainly nobody who could have taken the children to school or fed them. So I sat down in my chair and I spoke to the Lord and I said, Lord, you have two options. <laughs> One, you can heal my ankle or second, you can do all the work yourself and take the kids to school and cook for them. <laughs> and she went to bed that night and woke up healed. <laughs> and her comment was, so like a man, he didn't want to do the work, so he'd heal me yeah, rather than do it himself. <laughs> but when I heard that story and when I was able to speak with Sister Abby, I realized I was in the presence of a true saint and a bodhisattva, someone who has no pretension, no vanity, no sense of specialness, but you cannot spend any time with this woman without being overwhelmed by the beauty of what comes from her, this perfume of true love. And the other thing that's incredible about Sister Abby is her authority over these children. Because do not be taken in about this, I'm getting old and I'm going to sit and be a seated referee. You, you are looking at a spiritual Indira Gandhi, somebody who has authority in the most overwhelming way. Because when they came and sang for us, 22 kids singing gorgeous Zulu songs and hymns with such fervor and such passion, whenever there was any trace of naughtiness, she would give this look, and I can't, of course, imitate mm. this look, but it is a... <laughs> That's it! <laughs> and at the other end of the room, children who could somehow sense this look would be transformed. She's one of the most remarkable people mm. I've met in my life, and I'm very honored mm -hmm. to be your friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, challenging God. There's so many things that I challenge God with. The hospital had a, a baby that was born less than one kg by a 14-year-old a girl, and um, she died three days after her delivery. And then they were nursing the hope that this fetus will stop breathing. At the end, uh, she, in fact, on the same day, they decided to just to chuck her without bathing her into the incubator. Most of the parts of the body were not well formed. And um, the granny was young because this was the firstborn. She came to the hospital full brain AIDS also. Mm -hmm. And then she used to come and look at this fetus. And uh, one day the nurses told them that uh, this woman was here being the grain of this uh, baby, she she died yesterday. So after that, the great grand came, looked at the first before she takes the body of, of her daughter, daughter. She said, uh, if this baby was born at home, wouldn't have wasted time because it's not well formed. Would they just put it under, the dug a hole and put it under, mm. under the ground, breathing, because... What is she going to be? 
already the doctors have said due to the amount of oxygen that they've put into the incubator she she is blind she's deaf she's mentally retarded she has got flaccid paralysis when she was brought into the home the first home no no one wanted to take she was covered in sores no hair the head was huge facing one way not blinking labored respiration not even a movement of a finger and was created into a, a doll's carry cot and then i took her and uh, and then i said uh, and to the net, to the social worker I said if you bring such a child in a healthy um, organization like this why don't you take this child with this letter that I've read from the doctor why don't why didn't you take this child to mgeni mgeni is where all the cp children uh, end up the hydrocaf and all and um, she said no we couldn't get a bed but let me tell you the doctor said i must tell you she's one year now she was born last uh, june now it's june 2007 she's only left with three weeks to die mm-hmm. only three weeks if she if you can feed her feed her if she can if you can't just put her there she's going to die within three weeks and after they left us i knelt down i said lord this is a very hard work that you're giving me and i'm driving the children to school and this child needs to be kangarooed because it's just skin and bone and mm. i know i'll do the kangaroo but for how long because it's going to get big if if you don't take take her but i don't want it to be there. i want to prove that you have got space so if you can do me one big favor and revive this this baby amen so i did my work and the kitchen was cooking and uh, time came to go and fetch the children drove to to school after about one week i saw her doing this and the hand oh she's not paralyzed and i had already bought the artificial uh, um, tears so that her eyes don't dry up because they were starting to dry up and the child was revived is now 9 years old in grade 2 though she's not walking but she's doing fantastic work at school she speaks english afrikaans zulu and xhosa amazing mm. she plays domino like anything she's very good with maths excellent with maths meanwhile she they said she's blind which is not exist she's deaf that doesn't um, uh, exist and flaccid <laughs> paralysis she's not paral- paralyzed she bum shuffles the whole um, uh, room and uh, she's on a wheelchair she said to me one day gogo do you know what one day god will just lift me up with one arm and uh, my legs will be strong and i'll start walking mm. and then i said the day that happens one of the uh, people from the atlantic books um saw her and she was playing domino with her and then she she said i'll be walking and then i said when you start walking my darling i think we'll have to go to kfc she loves a kfc and buy something to eat the whole set up all your brothers and sisters 
And I don't have a problem. They lift her when we go to school, get her into the classroom. Even at home, if she wants to go outside, I don't lift her anymore. I don't have a parent because what I, I put into my children's uh, hearts is that they must learn to help each other. Mm. Uh, her name is Oliswa, but in the book she's written as Busisiwe. She is, she was a, a, a rabbit in one of at this at school at the preschool. You see her; she has got all the attire. Yeah, and then the, secondly, she's with her. Um, sister, we say she's her sister, but they're not related. They 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 were born the same same year, same month. The sister is in grade four. She's in grade two. Mm-hmm. You'd love her. She sings. She's adorable. Yeah, she sings. Sister Abby, were you born a Christian, or did you become a Christian? Was your family Christian? Um, my family was were hidden, hidden. Heathens. Yeah, they never believe in, in, in anything. Even my father didn't even believe in this uh, uh, ancestral worship. He didn't like it. I don't know why. Uh, would have, we would have uh, eaten a lot of meat, though I'm a vegetarian. So um, I only became a Christian when I was 18. Mm. Uh, I met the Anglican Church, and he didn't like it, but there was no way. And now I was a big girl and having... Big mouth. Let me warn you: if you have got sons, don't allow them to get married to to young, uh, to short people. Short people are very, are very pushy. <laughs> so that's what I do. Yeah, I can verify yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's very easy for me. Uh, as I said, I don't have a a problem. I've got challenges. So I was challenged with apartheid. During the apartheid era, I got everything that I wanted. I went to the white families. I had uh, dinners with them when things were very hard. And I immunized white children. Uh, because when I was sent there at, in Underbeck in 1980, the farmers' wives said they, can't, they don't see themselves having a, a blackness to immunize their children. So... They used to drive from Underbeg, which is 152 mm-hmm. kilometers, a two-hour drive, just for a drop of polio. Then ah. I said to them, I invite you. When you bring your domestic servant, bringing their babies, I want you to be I'm very transparent. Watch how I do my, my work. They ended up saying, we're wasting our time. So there were times when um, I had lined up all the, the, the moms who are, Breastfeeding, I say, sit down and breastfeed. White mom and black mom, the boobs out, nest their baby. What made you become a Christian? Did you have a sudden a vision or a deep, deep understanding suddenly come upon you? How did it happen? Um, the lady, Miss Marketing, was uh, running a clinic and a missionary work, being from uh, UK, uh, she arranged a youth camp. At, at the coast, so we went there. I was one of them. Uh, after I got the dress, I had the dress then, but uh, bare feet. So um, um, that's where I accepted Christ as my personal savior. But uh, uh, there's one thing that uh, I advise people not to do: 
is to look down upon other faiths. Mm. Because I don't think there's, there was anybody who was born with a red pen. In fact, I know very well I was not, was not born with a red pen. To say uh, Buddhist, correct, Christian, wrong, <laughs> uh, Muslims, correct, you know. Um, whatever you believe, I don't want to disturb you in that. That's one of the reasons why when children come being big, having attended a certain church, I take them there. If it's the family family that uh, was where Catholics and but most unfortunately the children always want to go with Gogo, so they end up and then I go and report to the priest that the child wants to come with me now. And when I arrived, I went to all the churches. Fortunately, being the deep rural area, there was a Roman Catholic at six. I used to go there, finish there, go to the Anglican at eight, finish there go to the Congregational Church at 10, and then at 12 I used to attend the Zionist Church where you go around with the drum and singing. The reason why I did that, I wanted everybody to know that I'm with them. I'm a mm. community nurse. Mm. You told me when we first met the hilarious story about when you met the Dalai Lama and you met her with a fellow nun who was really deeply perturbed because she thought, well, maybe he's going to hell, the Dalai Lama, for being such a Buddhist. <laughs> Tell that story uh, about... Of the man in Underberg. Yes. Oh. Um, That's such uh, a funny story. Um, I'm not computer literate, but uh, I had uh, a lady that uh, said to me when I came back from His Holiness um, wise giving uh, ceremony, I said, uh, oh, you know what, Gogo, they are talking about you on the computer. I said, my darling, just uh, give me that. Uh, say, I'm going to give you something that is written about you on the computer. I saw it. The emails were going from that side to that side about, about you. So I, um, I got it. Knowing that in my committee, the, my minister was one of the committee members. And then this man preached in one of the churches. I wasn't there because I've stopped going to all the churches now. But if they've got uh, something happening, I take my children and we go there. And at the congregational church, this man stood up and said, um, was, was preaching that day. I don't know what verse was it. Perhaps I'm also in the verses, I don't know. He read the scripture, but he said people must learn to uh, not to waste God's money and support projects that are not Christians. Mm. He said, the project Clouds of Hope, I'm going to give you an example. The project Clouds of Hope is a Christian care center named by Abigail when she was still a Christian. Now she's no more a Christian. And the, the whole project now it shouldn't be Christian care center, should be Buddhist care, care center. <sighs> because she went uh, abroad, and go and, and get uh, money from evil people, now is uh, poisoning the whole set up by that money. I've never seen uh, that um, uh, our God is so poor. I'm just thinking now, when he says the devil money. And uh, then I went straight to them. I said, I'm going to confront them. I said uh, to the manager, um, do you know anything about what... Uh, so and so, I will name, uh, give the name. 
said at the Congress, yeah, yeah, AP. I said, why didn't you tell me? Now I want to go to the committee and the chairperson. I want all that money to come to me. It was such a big amount, big, huge amount. It was divided into two, remember? It went to Kupuga, one of my outreach programs, and then the other money came to Clouds. And uh, he said, no, no, Epi, don't worry. And my priest was just beside himself. He just stopped attending the committee. He said, mm-hmm. I love the Buddhist people. I respect them. And Epi was so excited that they've given uh, Clouds so much money. So if it's that, I'm, I'm stepping down. And the magistrates, mm. I've heard a lot of bad things, people talking a- about you at the committee, I'm stepping down. So... Um, I don't have a red pen, I still say. A red pen to say right, correct, God knows. And this one of the reasons that I prayed for my son when he had a, a bicycle accident, because I could see when I went there in 2011 that the SFI people were, you could see that they are missing and they are worried about my son not being with them. Then I said, let's challenge God. He must bring a brand new brain, put it in. If they say the brain is damaged, he can take the damaged one. He knows where to throw it and then bring the spares because it's just like uh, cars. Uh, there's no car that doesn't have a spare, isn't it so? When the, this is a well, true story. When the car breaks down, uh, then I prayed to my God with the Buddhist holding my hand. I said, hold tight. Going, I'm going to challenge him now. He has to do this. What are, what are these people going to do? This is the teacher that has been spiritually gifted to help people to handle their problems or handle their life. So if he's not there, you can see how depressed they are. So we prayed. And by the time I arrived in Joburg, because I had a very long flight, when I arrived in Joburg, I tried to put my... South African um, um, cellular, and the messages came. Eugene is at home. Mm-hmm. When I arrived yesterday, <clears throat> I felt that if, if he was small, I would have lifted him. And I looked at him and I said, praise God. And I started praying, thanking God. Isn't it wonderful? God is good to us. He is good. I think what we all would like is to have your number so that when we have something <laughs> that we need to get done, we ask you, because clearly Sister Abby has a direct line, which I'm not at all surprised about. Yes, it is a direct line, because <laughs> I've got my meditation, which is contemplative prayer, at three. At three, no baby is, al- is, is awake. Even if they are wet, they start wriggling around about four. Mm. So it's the most quiet, quiet, quiet time. Even if somebody is sick, can groan right through the night, by three o'clock, fast asleep. <laughs> when did you write Empty Hands? And here I just want to pause and thank North Atlantic Books from the bottom of my heart. North Atlantic Books ran with an idea I had several years ago to have a series dedicated to sacred activism, to the philosophy of sacred activism and to amazing 
teachers and their vision of how to put love and compassion into radical action, because I believe that sacred activism is the only way forward for us in the world. And one of the greatest joys of my life is that Doug Rio, who's an amazing, amazing man, fell in love with the book Empty Hands, and it's become one of the major parts of our series. But I want to thank North Atlantic Books for having had such faith in sacred activism, for having put so much energy behind the titles that we've produced, and for being so deeply supportive of your wonderful book. Because for us, it is the crown jewel in our series, the reason why our series exists. Mm -hmm. So thank you, everybody. When did you write Empty Hands? Um, all along, uh, in fact, I've got friends, Tenesara and uh, Kirisaro. Yeah. They, they've been supporting me for years. Even when uh, yeah. I was staying in a two-roomed house um, with 12 orphans, before I even started Clouds, they've been supporting me right through. Um, they kept on saying to me, when I won an award, as an, an uns, um, not not an unsung hero, as a woman of the year from SAPC two and Shoprite Checkers, they said you should write uh, a book. Then I said, my friends, my English is very very poor, so how am I going to write uh, the book? And they said, no, 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 please, please. So when I I came here to receive an award as an unsung hero. I met a, a young man, young, unmarried, young, young man, and uh, was interested in my citation because his audience used to, um, uh, there was a person who was there, who used to read the, the citation and then he would come up and receive the carter and be blessed by his holiness. And uh, this guy got, uh, got uh, interested and said, uh, I'm going to help you. I'm also coming to South Africa. Then we can start the book. That was 2009. Mm. The guy is uh, Jürgen Muller. And he's here. Yeah. Then I looked at him. I said, he must, Hi, Jürgen. I must be kidding. When am I going to get time to write this book? I'm busy. I'm taking the children to school. And I have to do the homework. I have to do the gardening and... I collect the donations, I've got the outreach. Hey, when is it going to get time? So he made time. It, he had just got married, and his honeymoon was my book. Because <laughs> uh, I used to come with his young wife, and we sit with him, write and write. And then at wow. the end, he left. Time time flies. So he, he flew back to to U.S., and he said, we're going to Skype. And I, I said I said to Sarah, where is he going to Skype? Where do I have something to Skype? You come to Tamakiri I said, the reception? No, sometimes we Skype and it's okay. Each time I went to Tamakiri uh, for Skyping, the reception was poor. There is thunderstorm. Things are not working several times, several times, and he... He said to me, emailed me and said, uh, Gogo, I think the best thing, you must come over so that you can finish the book. Because now over the Skype, uh, I think also he didn't want to, to shame me 
with the accent because I don't think he picked up the accent over Skype. And he said, um, I think you must come over and we finish the book. And uh, anyway, again, flying again. Because when I came in 2000, and it was the first time flying, I even looked at the, I said, is it going to really fly (laughs) with me being so big? (laughs) <laughs> uh, the person that came with me was worried also about me because I was 75. I could easily die in, in America or have a jet lag. And then I said, don't worry. Just ask where the, where's the crematorium. Just bend this body and take the ash and put it on, on your bag and then come home. And so this guy uh, wait, 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 wait. Say a little more about it was your first time out of South Africa. Out of South Africa. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I had never been out of the country. Uh, then I, I was able to fly. I'll tell you what this escort of mine, I asked, I asked her, please, please, Jenny, because you put me um, up for this uh, uh, un, um, unsung hero of compassion by wise giving. You emailed, and because you people know about emailing, Make sure because you are, you've got English in you, you come with me because I don't think those people will hear me. My English is not too good. Going to be my, be my interpret. There were times when I spoke to her in Zulu, and people were like, "Hey, she's lucky. She knows so many languages. She she didn't even understand Zulu." So Jane, I came. With I came with Jane here. Uh, what was I talking about? You're no. talking about coming to America for the yeah. first time. Yeah, so the book, the book. Yes. Finish up the book. So I finished up the book. Um, I stayed with them for two weeks, came back on the third week, then we finished the book. Ah. I had all the photos and things like they said, hey, Gogo, we'll send you a copy. So he did, from Story Zone. He's, he's the guy that is, has got a Story Zone is it company? company yeah. yeah, his company is Where Where is Jürgen? Are you here? Jürgen. You were here. He was here. There he Jürgen. Is there. Yes, there. My Thank grandson. you for everything you've yeah. done to make this possible. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, thank yeah. you, thank you. And uh, when I heard that uh, Atlantic Books is going to be a uh, uh, Readjusting the mm-hmm. and then publishing my book, I started praying on daily basis. God bless. I'm still praying. I still I'll still continue to pray, and I always pray for my grandson. So it was a breakthrough that I was able to write a book. Uh, being born of uh, when you read it, you'll see where I, the rendezvous I grew in, and uh, brought up by a dog. My name of the dog was Show Me. Why I say I was brought up by, by this dog? Because my father used to leave me with this dog. It was my friend. When there was nothing to eat in the house, I, we used to boil um, a, a grain of um, maize. And then uh, when it's ready, I'll take one grain, throw it to her at the, and, 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 uh, the door, and take one into my mouth until we finish. And then I say, would you like water? You know, the dog always has some gestures. And then uh, take water to, to, to her and sit down and drink water. And say, don't move from there because uh, I'm scared of the snakes. 
but I don't mind. You can leave the, the, the frogs to come inside. I'm now sleeping. Um, about uh, His Holiness, the person that was my interpreter was always with me, always with me. So when we arrived at the... Um, because she wanted me to rest um, in London for four days. She got so worried. She was so worked up in such a way that she had sleeping tablets for me. I said, don't do that because you'll have to leave me. I, I, I'm a good sleeper. Uh, drink them yourself. So I slept right through. <laughs> and um, she was the one that had jet lag, which I didn't even understand what does that mean. I don't have jet lag. Immediately when I arrived at the aeroplane, because I don't have arthritis, I can easily sleep like a... Uh, and she said on the day of the... Oh, in fact, in the, in the when we went to customs, she was the one that was searched. Then she said, Abby, just go ahead, go ahead. So I had my luggage. Hey, but looking back, ish, the problem now is the accent. I won't understand these people, what they're saying. So the young guy said to me, boarding pass, ma'am? Body parts? Body? Which one? He wants body parts? Which part does he want? Meanwhile, he meant, he meant, and I said, Jenny, Jenny, please. And she said, what is it, Abby? I said, I don't understand. Just ask him. And said, no, I need her boarding pass. And said, no, it's your ticket. Oh, it's my ticket. I thought he wanted body parts, which parts. <laughs> and, um, and then when we arrived at the day of the on, uh, when all our honorers were there, we were 49 honorers, and we had tables. On each table was one honor. So we were allowed also to have our escort or partners, those who had partnered. That was my escort. And um, when we... We arrived, we were seated, and they were told not to push the chairs and start, try to stand and greet His Holiness. They said, because he can easily trip on our chairs. Sit quietly, and he's going to come in each table and bow and say those few, few words in the language that I didn't understand. So he did that. We appeared right at the corner, and our table was next to the platform, and Jenny, by then, he, she has said to me, Oh, Abby, you are so lucky. You are going to be able to be touched by him and touch him. And I said, you, You'll never know. God works in a miracle. He might tell ah, Don't say that. How can... We are so many here. And I said, If you pray and believe, he can simply touch you. His holiness is specially gifted. is is really supernatural. I said, yeah, we are just saying all sorts of things like you say we want to say anything. He will, he will never. And then I said the next thing, if he doesn't touch you automatically, I'm going to pray that we go to the people who are next to him and ask them that there's a lady that wants just to touch you. I said, I won't do that. I'm scared. I'm very shy if you don't understand. <laughs> so his holiness came. We were the last table. He went straight. He didn't bow. He went straight to her, cupped her hands, both her hands like this, and then he mumbled prayer, and he, wow. and he went straight. 
And then when I looked at her to say, there what? God has answered. I couldn't say. She was crying right through, crying. When Eugene mm. and Pam said to her when we came this next day, how did it go, um, Jenny? She just cried. When we went back to South Africa, she was crying. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, if, uh, if it was somebody from South Africa, I would have said, because you know everybody, that you told them, please touch the chair. I was the only one black in that, uh, uh, in that table. You should have been drawn to me. I was wearing the traditional attire, but she went straight to her and touched her. As she has requested, God hears you when you request him. He hears. Because in my heart, I just said, Lord, just a miracle that this, this partner of mine is able to touch his holiness. And he did. He's a wonderful man. He's a wonderful man. I love him. I love him. So how about, um, how would it be if we see if they have any questions? Oh, yes. Would that be okay? Mm, that would be fine. Great. Well, Ask me any question. <laughs> I'll answer them all. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your story. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, wait, the mic's going to come to you, because... Do you, will you go ahead. You, right here. Yeah. Uh, why are you on tour now, or what are you hoping to do with your travels right now? Um, this is my... I started in South Africa with this tour. It's to... Um, um, to tell people about my book because when it's sold it's earmarked, all the money goes to tertiary education for the children that's number one and uh, um, the second thing I think um, at the age of 82 is just just to see friends also (laughs) (laughs) no it's about the book, it's about the book I attended um, I attended a conference a three day conference uh, which is FYE, is first year experience college sh- students. Uh, they want to choose a book that can be read by the first year. So all the colleges were there at Florida. Mm. I think it's also because, look, we raise money to buy a house. Everybody. My organization, many organizations came together passionately to raise all the money to buy a house for Sister Abby. But can you imagine what it actually entails to run a household of 20 children who need education, who need clothes, who need medical help? So just having a house with some loving people helping is wonderful, but so much is needed. And one of the reasons mm. I know that you're on tour is so that to excite interest in this project so that people can truly start contributing. Mm. It's amazing how even a little donation can help mm. immensely. Mm. I'm planning to make a major documentary about Sister Abby with a Canadian uh, film company in October as a way of really making her book available to everybody, because I think it's one of the most important books I've ever read. Mm -hmm. And also because I truly want to be one of those people who raise the money 
so that you never have to worry where money is coming to do the amazing work that you pour yourself out for. Wonderful. And also I would like, I don't know whether I've said this, I always say to my children that three magic words is please, sorry, thank you. But I think thank you is the best. Thank you so much for your generous hearts. And I repeat it, I always pray for America. And uh, I've prayed for my friend here. Pray for all the friends. And you are the best people I've ever met. Um, So so just so it's clear, the Donna tonight that you might offer will go to support the work of Abby. So be wildly, insanely generous, please. Thank you. The house was 150,000 in the end. It's a beautiful house. I haven't actually mm. seen it. I've seen it in photographs. Mm. But it is... The first house we saw was no good, wasn't it? Do you remember? Yes. <laughs> and then, thank God, mm. we found had, another one. I had missed the most beautiful house where I went with uh, Tenesa, uh, Kirisaro before uh, uh, I went around with you. It was... Uh, uh, it had... Uh, a statue outside and inside, which was called Babushka. Is it Babushka? Babushka, yes. Yeah, and uh, I really fell in love with it. And also people who owned it, it was the old lady that was there getting ready to go, go um, and stay in, in Cape Town because she lost their husband. I used to go and, and visit them and encourage the old lady because their husband didn't want to go to a hospital. And help them now and then keep in touch with the voluntary nurses who are working the district. And uh, she was so excited to have this house, but uh, I got resistance from my neighbors. They said, no ways that we can allow Abigail to come and stay. The, our houses are going to be depreciated if we sell them yeah. with Abigail next nearby. Oh, God, yes. Racism is still intense in South Africa. So I lost that house. It was 1.1. And the one that we're in now was 1.4. Rent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, 1 million. 400, yeah. Mm. Uh, thank you for your work in the world, and thank you for being here and your presence, and thank you for your prayers for this country. Thank you. Because we can Don't use we them, need them in many, many ways, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, it does sound like you have a direct bat phone line to God, which is quite amazing and not surprising. Um, <laughs> but what is your personal practice when, when God doesn't seem to answer that phone quickly enough, and when challenges sometimes become problems, sometimes become maybe even tragedies. Mm. What is your practice when when that phone doesn't seem to be answered? Um, I hand over and tell him that I'm waiting on him at any time. So I don't rush to things. If it doesn't work there and there, uh, he has got his timing. Like when we asked him to, I said to the children, let's ask God to give us a bigger place. We stayed in the that two-roomed house, and, uh, uh, yes. um, which now we're using as a safe house in the low cost. We stayed for two years, praying on daily basis that we need a bigger place. So I, I don't give him um, time. If he doesn't give us something, then he must do something himself. 
So um, the ears are too small. <laughs> so I uh, don't worry um, um, about timing. Timing is, is, is his. So we got the house after two years uh, of asking, asking, asking. Mm. Thank you. And uh, when it doesn't get answered, I said, uh, always say to the children, now we've prayed, I think God has heard. Um, what do I say when you keep on asking uh, things um, on daily basis? You always say, go, go, um, shush, I've heard about it. And I said, I think God has said that. So let's thank him that he's using his timing. Beautiful reply. Great question, I thought. Thank you. Sister Abby, could you say something about what you think it took to create a family? All these children who came from different places, different ages, different circumstances. How did you create a family out of that? Uh, We've got a method when a new child is admitted. Even my older children who are married, I ring them all and say we've got a new family member. But the children who are staying with me, they have to adopt the child. Like saying, Zetu um, and, and uh, Zodwa is going to be looked after, after this baby and making sure if it's a baby. If it's a, a bigger child, they will be following her like a, like a shadow to see her needs. And she will be told that if you've got any problem that you're scared to voice out, tell these two. And then become a family. As it is, I'm not even worried that I've got three children who are in AR- ARVs because their mentors are there. They will definitely look after them. Mm. It's very difficult to describe how amazingly coherent and loving the children are. I've never been in a group of children, especially AIDS children, and I've met mm. several groups of people and people working with them, but these kids love each other and they protect each other and they have amazing spirit. And it, How could it not come from the way they're loved? You set such an example and they follow it. Wonderful. I've been loved, so I have to love. True. That's why I named my book Empty Hands, because that's what my father told me and said, uh, I must go send and bring it to him. He was just coming from his uh, errands. And um, he said to me, um, pocketed himself from, the, from, from a bag that carries his pipe and whatever. He fished out two bananas and said, uh, would you like a banana? I said, yes. He knew that I love banana. Those people that have stayed in their house, they, knew, they know that I love banana so much. So he said, one for you, one for me. Where must I put it? And I said, but Dad, you said I must scoop uh, sand. I said, it's up to you. It's either you throw it away, clean your hands, take the banana, or I can put it on top of the sand. <laughs> then I, I came to him, kneeled in front of him, knelt here, 
and he gave me the banana and I started eating. And I said, Dad, I was, I was a child that never kept quiet, short women. And I said to him, what does this mean? He said, I was waiting for you to ask. I knew we were going to ask. Uh, I mean that you must never hate anybody. You must not carry heavy things in your, in your heart mm. because you need to be filled by love on daily basis mm. and then you can dish it out on daily basis. So um, that compelled me to love everybody. I loved even the lady that um, let her dogs to bite me when the whole community was fuming and said, this, this lady needs to be reported to the police station. These do- her dogs to be put down. And I said, who has been bitten by the dogs? It's me. <laughs> who has forgiven her? It's me. You've got nothing to do with it. Even my um, supervisor came all the way from Marysville. I've heard that uh, you need a, a relief because you've been beaten by the dogs. I said, yes, I can't work. My, my legs were just swollen like any blue, blue. They bruised me because I'm one person knowing, knowing the animals, uh, especially the dogs. When they want to bite, you need to help them by running away or making noise. So I stood still. And by the time I realized that I was naked, and my skirt was there, it being in pieces. Half my petticoat was half torn, and this lady said, "You shouldn't have get out, got out of the vehicle." Mm. Uh, I said, "Yes, I'm the one that is wrong, ma'am. Uh, but I'm just waiting for you to take these dogs away from me because I want to get into the vehicle and drive back to the office." I had made an appointment with her to see her at ten, half past ten. She wasn't there. Got her to 11, she wasn't, half past 11, she appeared. When I had just gone to the house, I was looking for the domestic servant to ask her where Madam is gone to, so that if she's not here, then I could drive the government vehicle and go back to the office. And then she appeared, and the dogs just alighted, even before she stopped, they went for me like what? They were such vicious dogs, but fortunately, I don't know what type, um, they, they've got their mouths like this hanging, and then they went for me like hotcakes. But they couldn't nudge their, f- their teeth Thanks, yeah. onto the flesh. But I was blue, blue, blue. Mm. So I didn't work for two weeks. And everyone, but maybe you should, even recently I had uh, uh, 59 chickens at, <coughs> at the new place for laying eggs, because I like pure organic um, things. I don't like the, this fridge... Uh, um, chicken uh, to be eaten by my children and uh, the dogs from my neighbor ate them all so I went to I went to him I said say when my children were trying to stop your dogs your dogs are so vicious please come and see I still have it in my in my cell phone come and see what damage no no I'm not coming in you your chickens were out of the gate I said but your dogs <coughs> came inside. What, what's wrong with your electric fence? I said, it's not working. But the gates were closed. They sneaked inside. And they're such vicious dogs. And he said, I've got nothing to do with that. And the whole community stood up and said, you must be kidding. We're going to report. I said, please don't report on my name because I've forgiven him. The word of God said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I love myself. I wouldn't like to be in jail anyway. 
So I can't put him in jail. Mm. Most unfortunately for him, it killed two heifers, and the owner went to report to the police station, attacked two uh, couple. Fortunately, they had mm. a, a shock stick, and they hit the dogs. The that case was they ate six sheep, killed mm. them all. Yeah, so, so the the lady went to report to report them, and they had to come and put down the dogs. But I said, don't put me there. I'm not in there. I have to forgive. I was forgiven. Anything else you would like to say before we go to the book signing part of the... Okay. What um, I would like to say to... You good people, is that uh, when you read the book, don't read it at night because you'll never sleep. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and second thing is that the theme of the book says, never ever give up, never quit. Try, learn to trust yourself and let go of things that are going to dismantle your life. Mm. People are having hypertension because there are a lot of problems. This world is a lovely place to live in, but there are a lot of challenges, as people say, it's problems. But don't, just like somebody who's hit by the car, I was nearly killed by the car, then I'm now safe, but you stand in the middle of the road again where you were nearly killed. You're waiting for another car to crash you again. You'll keep on jumping and jump in the same track. Move away from problems. Leave them. Yes. They're not for you, and you are not there to solve them if they not, you can't solve them. Leave them as they are. Nature or God or whatever you believe in will definitely solve the problem in future. And it's to encourage the youngsters because youngsters have got a problem of taking their lives. You take your life today, meanwhile there's a check on the way coming to you um, just because of a problem that is today. That's what I used to say. Um, if I now I destroy my life or give up, there's something coming. Um, I don't know what is it, but I'm expecting something wonderful in my way. Thank you. Thank, thank you both for being here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, Thank you, Sasha. Yeah, of course. But um, and so there'll be a book signing, more book signing, and you can chat a little with Abby as you as you uh, get a book. And of course, you can. Um, you don't have to chat with her. You can just donate a lot of money, and that's totally fine. And we'll go from there. So and thank you all for being here. Good good dharma. God bless. Thank you so much. Ah.